If God can create everything out of nothing, right? Imagine what he can do with you while you have breath in your lungs. If God can say, I'm going to part the Red Sea for the Israelite community to walk through, imagine what God can do with a willing heart. If God can say, I'm going to save sinners, imagine what he's going to do with you when you accept that. The truth is, I'm a sinner that is saved. What that means is, I am a sinner who's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'd like you to open up your Bibles with me to the book of Mark, chapter 4. Sorry, Pastor Joe, I'm doing a little deviation from the Old Testament series. Um, Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many parables, and in his teaching he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they did not bear grain. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop. Some multiply in 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The parable of the sower. We're going to get straight into this story. And the first thing I want to share with you is that Jesus is the farmer. And when you come to know Jesus as the farmer, and he's not just any farmer, but he's a good farmer. When you come to know Jesus as a good farmer, your whole relationship with him changes. Uh, <clears throat> I remember one time going up to help my granddad out on the farm. And, and my granddad, he wasn't a bad farmer. But he had some, some backpackers out there working for him. And... Uh, and I remember we went up there to give him a hand and he had to plant watermelons. And because I was the youngest in the team, my job was just to go around and do what I was told, fix this, do that, whatever. But the backpackers, they were a lot older than me and they got to sit behind the tractor planting all these watermelons all along the, all along the drill. Well, come to the end of the day, they finished their job and my granddad comes up to me and goes, they didn't do it properly. Uh, you see, there's this wheel that spins around behind the tractor and it puts a spike in the ground and then you get your little watermelon seedling and you put it in that hole and you cover it with dirt. They just plonked it in the hole and didn't cover it up with dirt. How long do you reckon those seedlings would last if they weren't covered by soil? Probably not the day. This is in far north Queensland. Probably not the day. And so my job, along with my twin brother, was to go around without the tractor, go around all along the farm 
uh, replanting these uh, little seedlings for watermelon. But you see, Jesus isn't a farmer like that. Jesus is a good farmer. And in the Bible days, they didn't have big paddocks with tractors and, and, and all these implements uh, where, and farmers didn't live out on, on their property. In the Bible days, the farmers, they would live in town because town, it was safe, it was secure, there was walls all around your house, all of those things. Outside the town, that's where all the robbers and the thieves and the criminals stayed. So the farmers would go out to their paddocks every single day, but they didn't have big, big fields. They had narrow strips of land where they could walk up and down either side to do what they had to do without trampling on their crop. So every day the farmer would get up, leave the safety and security of the walled town that he was living in, and he'd go out and he would tend to the field. But Jesus is the good farmer. He has good seed, and the seed that he come to plant is the seed of eternal life, the seed of salvation. And Jesus didn't stay in the safety and security, the adoration and worship of heaven. He left that place and he came to this cesspool that we call earth. Where he planted the seed. But he's a good farmer. And there's one thing all farmers know. There's no guarantee that your crop's going to last. How many stories have you heard of people who plant crops, whatever, and then maybe they get too much rain, and then it's all gone, and you're like, oh, what a waste of time. Or it could be the opposite. You know, they plant seed, and it's going all good, but then it gets too hot and too dry. Oh, what a waste of time. But all good farmers know that whatever it is they do, there's a risk. But what makes them good farmers is that they take that risk anyway. So Jesus, he took this risk to come down and plant his seed, salvation and eternal life. So the farmer came to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Path. Wayside, your Bible probably says. Have you ever met someone with a hard heart before? Maybe you've got a hard heart. I know at times I do. In fact, I've got a very hard heart at times. When you're so stubborn and resistant to change. Or maybe like religion has been shoved down your throat. And, and you hear the word of God everywhere you go. Week in and week out, we hear the word of God. It's planted in our heart, but we are too hearted of heart to accept it. Well, maybe you've been trampled over, hurt, whatever it is. But the seed is unable to grow. And the birds come and eat it up. But the good news is, Jesus is the farmer, and he's a good farmer. And he risks losing seed, his salvation, on your hard heart anyway. Some seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. 
I am a very, the word, what's the word? Is it compulsive? Impulsive. I'm a very impulsive person. I'll start a New Year's resolution to not eat McDonald's. And then I drive past McDonald's and I see that they've got a $2 menu. And I just, just one little thing won't hurt me. Anyone here impulsive? Just go with the whim? You know, a bit like a wave tossed in the ocean. You're going down here and then, oh, oh, something's more attractive over here and off you go. That's way better, you know. And some of us, that is all our experience of Christianity has been. Our only experience of Christianity or following Jesus has been one of impulse, just, just emotion, just following wherever the wind blows us is what we're going to do. One day we could be on fire for God, you know, and, 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 and telling our friends, oh, we're on the straight and narrow now. And then the very next morning, so, uh, the popularity could have switched and we could be on a totally different track in our life. And this is a problem when it comes to emotional response religion if it doesn't lead to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. It has no root. It can't mature. It can't grow. But the farmer is a good farmer. And he risks losing his seed along shallow soil anyway. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. I'd say this is probably most of us. Who here is so busy working that they don't get time to enjoy life? It's just the culture we live in, isn't it? If you've got kids, mum and dad have to both work just to put food on the table or to pay the rent or to pay the bills, whatever it is. You know, as a, as a minister, uh, uh, you know, we're so busy trying to give Bible studies and, and, and uh, make youth events happen and all these things that we neglect to grow in Jesus. Sometimes we have grievances in our life where all our focus comes on something bad that happened, that Jesus just fades into the background. Could have been the loss of a loved one. It could be some other struggle or something else you've gone through. But it just consumes your whole world that you no longer grow in Christ. The good news is this. The farmer is a good farmer and he risks losing his seed among the, the, the weeds, the thorns, and the thistles. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. But I don't want want to talk to you about hardness of heart or or, or shallow experience of religion. I don't want to talk to you about being drowned out by the busyness or grievances of life. I want to ask you a question. What makes good soil good soil? Because when we come to think about it, if I look at myself, I'm a a person who's hard of heart. I'm an emotional and shallow person. I am a busy person who gets drowned out by the busyness and grievances of life. But what makes good soil good soil? What allows the seed of God that the good farmer has planted grow and produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sowing. 
Is it good soil because there's an absence of hard places? Is it good soil because, because there's no rocks or, 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 or rock bed in shallow ground? Is it good soil because there's no thorns or thistles? What makes good soil good soil? What makes our hearts responsive to grow in Jesus? I want to share another, another story with you. And this story is about a plot of ground. Has anyone ever met a plot of ground before? This plot of ground, he wanted to be the most beautiful garden in all the world. It was his life's dream, his life's desire. It was his goal in life. This plot of ground wanted to be the most beautiful garden that could ever exist. But there was a problem. No one owned him. Well, he just kept on dreaming about becoming a beautiful, beautiful garden one day. He's getting old and he, he heard some really good news that someone had purchased him and didn't just purchase him for dirt cheap, but purchased him at a great cost. Could you imagine the joy on this, this plot of ground on his face when he heard that someone bought him? Yes, I'm one step closer to becoming a beautiful garden. Well, the joy quickly ran out when this plot of ground started to look at itself. And guess what he found? He began to look around the edges where the people would walk past him all the time and walk on him while it's raining and chuck their rubbish off on the side. And he began to notice that he had some, man, he had some hard spots thought to himself, oh no, if the farmer comes here and sees I'm just like a wayside, he'll just regret ever buying me and, and, and sell me on. Oh, that's horrible. And he started to look at himself a little more and he saw that he had, he had rocks and, you know, my, at my parents' farm, they grow rocks up in North Queensland. There's all these rocks popping up everywhere. There's nothing they can do about it. Oh no, you know, this is, this, this is no good. As he was looking at himself, he noticed all the thorns and the thistles, the brambles and the briars. And he thought, oh man, the farmers, he's, he's going to hate me. There's no way I'm going to become a beautiful garden. So he said, what I'm going to do is, before the farmer comes to inspect me, I'm going to do everything I can to be ready for the farmer to be the farmer. So this plot of ground he set out at once. And he tried with all his might to soften the hard places. But guess what? There's too much traffic going past him all the time. And he just got harder. And no matter how hard he tried, he just could not soften the hard places. All right, he said to himself, well, that's not really working. Maybe I just need to focus on pushing the rocks outside. You know, raking the rocks away. And he tried so hard, this plot of ground, to get rid of the rocks that, were in, that, were, that he had. But guess what? They just popped up like potatoes. Well, that didn't work. Well, maybe I need to get rid of the weeds, the brambles and the briars, the thorns and the thistles. That's a lot easier, isn't it? Well... As hard as he tried, this plot of ground didn't even have the ability to get rid of one single weed. 
That's when someone come along to this plot of ground and said to this plot of ground, hey, plot of ground, you are going about this in all the wrong way. Here, read this book. This book has the answers to everything. This is a five-step to becoming a beautiful garden. Wow, sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? Wow, so this plot of ground, he read this book, and this book said five steps to becoming a beautiful, beautiful garden. Step number one, have a new desire. Sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? It's like changing diets. Well, that's easier said than done. Well, that didn't really work, did it? In fact, this plot of ground implemented all five steps to becoming a beautiful garden, and guess what? Nothing changed. In fact, he only became harder, had more rocks and more weeds, brambles, briars, thorns, and thistles. Well, someone else come up to this plot of ground and said, plot of ground, you are going about this in all the wrong way. All you have to do is do your best. And when you've done your best, no matter how much you get done, if you've done your best, the farmer will see that you've tried really, really hard and take over and do the rest. Well, that sounds reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, that's what we teach our children. Do your best and let God do the rest. Hmm, what a lie of the devil. So this plot of ground, you know, he tried his best, but guess what? If the farmer came, he wouldn't have seen if this plot of ground tried or not. Because the plot of ground still had hard places, rocks, thorns and thistles, brambles and briars. Well, you can imagine how disappointed this plot of ground was. Because he was trying so hard. He started to question whether he, whether he really wanted to be a beautiful garden at all. Or whether he was just off on an emotional tangent. Someone come along to this plot of ground and he said to him, you're going about this in all the wrong way. My pastor told me, sorry, my gardener told me how to be a beautiful garden. And he said, if you just get rid of the leaves on the weeds, the farmer will pull them up. Sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, as long as you look like a Christian, God will somehow, you know, fake it till you make it, right? Isn't that what we tell ourselves sometimes? As long as we look the part? Well, sounds reasonable. I mean, I've got to do something so the farmer can make me a beautiful garden. And so at once he went to try and cut off the leaves, off the weeds, but guess what? Sure, some leaves would drop off because they got old, but 10 would grow back in their place. Well, this plot of ground tried absolutely everything that he could do. He followed every single bit of garden advice that he could get. He researched all the books in Becoming a Beautiful Garden, but no matter what he did, he could not come even one step closer to becoming a beautiful garden. So... This plot of ground did what many plot of grounds do. Got really sad and gave up on the idea of becoming a beautiful garden. But it's right then when he heard some really good news. It was the footsteps of the farmer. Well, truth be told, 
The farmer actually was coming to this plot of ground every single day, but the plot of ground was too focused on himself and what was wrong with him. He never, ever noticed the farmer. And the farmer said something to him that was too good to be true. You wouldn't believe it. In fact, the plot ground didn't believe it because it went against every little bit of advice and Bible study, I mean, gardening textbook he's ever read in his life. And you know what the farmer said to this plot of ground? He said, hey, plot of ground, it's your job to let me be the farmer. Because there are things that only the farmer can do that you are not capable of doing. Well, the plot of ground said, I've tried everything else, what have I got to lose now? So he decided to let the farmer be the farmer. And at once, the farmer pulled out the rake and started raking out the rocks. And he started watering and turning over the soil so the hard places become soft. And he, and, and, and he pulled up the weeds, not just from the leaves, but from the roots. And he started to plant seed and seedlings and trees and fruit trees and, and started to water, water this plot of ground. And before you knew it, this is one of the most beautiful gardens in all the world. And all this plot of ground had to do was let the farmer be the farmer. I hope by now you know I'm not talking about a plot of ground. That's for you, Mark, just to keep you up to speed, mate. You know, we, our experience of religion has become so complicated and, 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 and so far from what the gospel has taught us. Our experience of religion has been all about me. And we think, well, if, there's, if I'm going to be saved, if I'm going to experience salvation, it doesn't matter what God has said about me. It doesn't matter about what God has done for me. It's about how am I going to make sure that I can be assured of my salvation. And we look at our lives and we see things that, oh, we're not quite perfect yet, are we? Oh, no. I've got a hard heart. I don't want to accept some things that the scriptures are telling me. I don't want to, I don't want to give, spend time with Jesus. Every, oh, I've got a hard heart. And we look at ourselves and we get fearful of salvation. And we think, wow, if only I could change myself, then I would know that I could be saved in Jesus. And we spend so much time trying to be and do things that only God can do for us. You know, if God said, let there be light, that's something that only God can do. If God can call a sinner a saint, then that's something that only he can do, and there's nothing I can do. Well, there is something, really, but it, we don't like it. In fact, we hate it. Because the thing we have to do is like this plot of ground experiences this thing that tells us we're nothing but a bunch of losers because it's the equivalent of flying a white flag in a battlefield. We don't like talking about this. You hate it and I hate it. 
comes down to this thing called surrender. Surrender is when you come to the point when you realize there are some things that are out of your power and control. And salvation is one of them. Now, I hate this idea of surrender. Maybe it's because I'm a stubborn, proud guy. Who knows, right? I have to YouTube everything. Don't go to the mechanics or YouTube it, right? All these things, which mind you, I had to pay for this week because I did it wrong. Anyway, um, but I hate this idea. I love to be in control of what happens in my life. Anyone else like that? You know, you've got a, some of you probably have like a five-year plan of goals and achievements you want to do and God's blessings on you. I'm sure you can do it. Uh, But the problem is we bring that to Christianity. And this is me, you know, I like to be in control. I like to make the decisions. I like to, um, you know, all these things. I drive my poor wife mad at times. Um, And this is one particular time when I drove her crazy. Crazy in love for me, no jokes, right? And so we did a storm co up at um, Torres Strait Islands. And on this island we went to, it was just raining the whole time, so we didn't wear shoes, and it was all muddy. And I get home, I fly home, and my wife picks me up from the airport, and I'm, because I lived in Townsville, we don't wear shoes, we just wear, um, you know, our sandals. And um, she looks at my feet, she goes, You're not coming in the house with feet like that. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're clean. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but my wife, she comes from a Colombian heritage, right? And like, where she's from, where her family's from, like, dirty toenails and dirty fingernails are like the devil, right? In Colombia, you go to KFC or whatever it's called, and they give you gloves to wear so you don't dirty your, dirty your, your hands and things like that, right? It's actually not a bad idea. Even the guys keep their fingers and toenails clean and all this. And she goes, nah, we're going straight to the nail salon. And I went, I don't think so. I actually said, whoa, muchacha, no can do, right? Try to speak a language a little bit. Anyway, and, uh, and, and she goes, well, they're disgusting. Like, you're embarrassing me. You've got dirty toenails. I was like, yeah, who cares? Like, I try to scrub them. They're good enough. It'll grow out, you know. <laughs> right? Anyway, she's like, nah, you're disgusting. I said, hmm. <laughs> Anyway, she goes, I'll make a deal with you. If you come with me to professional nail and get a pedicure, because it would be so fun, I'll go fishing with you. And I knew how much she hated fishing. And I was like, all right, that's a deal. So we shook on it. And so she drove me straight to the nail salon. And I tried to put a paper bag on my head, but it wasn't any big enough. I've got a big head. Anyway, so I'm there, and, um, and the lady, she's like, oh, your nail's so dirty, so dirty. And I'm like, oh, obviously, that's why I'm here. I'm not here for the fun of it. Like, my wife thinks it's fun and relaxing. I'm like, I'm actually, like, getting shingles from the stress or something. Who knows? Anyway, and, um, anyway I must have had the apprentice because she cracked my toenail. I didn't think anything of it. And so I went home, and, you know, that night started to get a little bit sore. I was like, ah, oh, it's probably infected or something. Should be right. Pour some metho on it. I mean, dead oil. <laughs> right? And uh, clean it all out. And then, um, anyway, the next day, it's like getting... It's getting it's getting red, it's getting sore, 
And by the end of the week, I'm starting to get an ingrown toenail. And my wife, Raquel, she said to me, you should go to the doctor and let them cut it out. And I was like, I'm not going to the doctor because I've been to the doctor for ingrown toenail before and it's painful. I'd rather fix this myself, <laughs> right? So I talked to some of the old fellas in town who were from like World War II and they're like, yeah, in the trenches we used to um, put cotton wool underneath our toenails and that's how it'd stop. And I was like, yeah, sweet, that sounds good to me. And so there I um, soaked some cotton wool in dead oil or whatever and packed underneath my toenail and oh, it's painful. Anyway, that seemed all right for a couple of days, but guess what? Didn't stop it. Anyway, my wife, she goes, go to the doctor. I said, nah, because I'm just seeing those big needles going into my toe and me kicking the doctor in the head out of a bad reflex. And I was like, nah, because I can't give that type of control or whatever to someone else. And so she said, oh, you're so stubborn. I said, yep, I am. And I'm going to fix this problem myself. And so... Um, couple of weeks go by and it's like getting a bit festy, okay? It's getting a little bit festy, I'm not going to lie. And so I went onto YouTube and I typed in how to fix the ingrown toenail at home. <laughs> and it seemed reasonable enough. So I went to the garage, I've got a dovetail saw, a Stanley knife and a pair of pliers, right? And I cleaned them all in metho to dis disinfect them and I made this big mess everywhere and it was painful. But as long as I was in control of the pain, it was okay. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You know your limits, right? And I'm like, yeah, but if someone else were to do this to me, oh, I just couldn't handle it. I can't surrender and allow other people to do this for me. I'm going to fix this problem myself. And so, well, it's safe to say that didn't work, did it? Um, and by now, I'm, I'm walking like this. And I had to, I had to um, run a camporee, and I'm running around with the kids like this. And one of the pastors come up to me and goes, bro, you really need to go to the doctor. And this was in front of my wife. And you know what I said to him? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> right? I'm, you're right. I do. I need to go to the doctor. Anyway, so, um, you know, I go to the doctor. And the doctor has a look at, at my foot. And he goes, you're not the smartest person in the world, are you? I said, you know, I've been called worse. He goes, I can't do anything with this. It's too infected. Go and take antibiotics for 10 days, then come back. I was like, oh, righto, righto. So I do my antibiotics, and I come back after 10 days, and I go to the doctor, and he's like, oh, you again? I'm like, yep. And, um, well, he started shoving that stuff into my foot to numb the pain. Um, what's it called? Anesthetic. The one, not the one that makes you fall asleep, the one that just numbs it, all right? Because I've, anyway, whatever it's called. Anyway, he puts some in, he goes, waits five minutes, and then he starts working on my foot, and I'm like, can you please stop? He goes, what's the problem? I said, I can feel everything, and it is painful, right? He's like, yeah, it's still a little bit infected. We'll give it another shot and see what happens. So he puts another um, shot into my toe, and then he's working away. I'm like, no, it's, it's really sore, and he goes, oh. We're not supposed to do this, but I'll give you another one. So he puts another like thing into my foot, right? And like my foot's probably about to fall off. <laughs> Who knows, right? And he's working on there, and I'm like, it is excruciating. The pain, I hate it. Like it, I'm seriously like holding my leg down because you know when you have that reflex, yeah, you're just gonna like, whatever. Anyway, and 
He goes, 10 minutes later, all done. But mind you, I over-exaggerate when it comes to painful things, okay? So, 10 minutes later, he's like, righto, there you go, all done. He cut it out, did what he had to do. I'm like, all right. By that evening, it's like a relief that he cut my toenail out. And my wife, she's still like, you're so stubborn, you should have done this a month ago, <laughs> right? Okay, don't laugh, you've all been there. Anyway, and, uh, and so like within like a week, I'm wearing shoes again. And um, before, not before too long, everything's back to normal. It is all good. But the point is, this idea of surrender is something that we all hate. Because we want to be in control of our relationship with Jesus. We want to be the ones who, who somehow think that we can solve the problem, we can fix the problem. Yeah, I can get rid of the hard places, I can rake out the rocks, I can uh, do the weeding, I can fix myself up so that he can come along and say, good job. But the one thing we don't want to do is come to him as we are and say, this is me and this is all you get. But Jesus, he is the good farmer and, and he, he has the most precious thing that you on offer for you and I and that is eternal life. That is salvation. And it's more than just this idea of living forever. It's this idea that we can walk with Jesus right here and right now and he's saying, I don't care if, about your hard places, about the rocks and about the thorns and the thistles, the brambles and the briars because I am the farmer and I will do for you only what the farmer can do. So we need to surrender. My question was, what makes good soil good soil? I want to encourage you this morning that good soil is not good soil because there's an absence of hard places. That is not what makes good soil. Good soil is not good soil because there's an absence of rocks or shallow soil, or an absence of weeds, brambles and briars, thorns and thistles. That is not the definition, according to scriptures, what makes good soil. What makes good soil, good soil, is when the farmer is allowed to be the farmer. That's good soil. What allows me to be saved, even though I'm a sinner? Jesus said... I have come to give you salvation. Full stop. And my decision is, am I going to surrender to trust that he can do what only he can do, which I cannot do for myself? So what does this look like in your day-to-day life? How do you apply this parable of the sower as we go about our business, as we go about our day-to-day life? Well, the first thing is this. When you are faced with doubts about your Christianity or about your assurance of salvation or about whether uh, uh, if God would come right now, would you go to heaven? You know all those questions people ask. Well, I would like to encourage you that you stop and you say, well, the farmer is a good farmer and he will do for me what only a farmer can do and that is give me eternal life, give me salvation. When When we share our faith with others, how does this look like in our day-to-day life? Well, the first thing about sharing our faith is we're not here to, to manage people's behavior. How many times will people be baptized because they somehow seem to, to rake out the rocks 
or to soften the hard places, yet have no real relationship with Jesus. Yet the one who struggles and knows who they are, yet has surrendered to God. We just want to give them behavior management. Well, when we share our faith, we share the good news about the good farmer. That all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does this look like as we grow and journey with Jesus? Well, what it looks like for you and for me is that we always keep in the forefront of our mind, ignoring the emotion of it and going to the truth of it, that Jesus is good. And he came to save me. So if God can speak into nothing and create everything we have, imagine what God can do with you where you have breath in your body. If God can part the Red Seas so that people can walk on dry ground, imagine what he can do with you. If God can look at a sinner and call you a saint, that is exactly what you are. Will you surrender to that? Or will you keep trying harder? Blessings.